Now today we come to a topic that is so absolutely critical for any relationships. We talk about forgiveness today. Is this a very challenging, sensitive topic? And let me just tell you two things about forgiveness as we begin. First of all, forgiveness is so beautiful to witness. We love stories of forgiveness. We, we love when we go back to the book of Genesis and we see Joseph who's been sold into slavery and abused by his brothers, who's now risen to power. And years later, his brothers come begging for help and Joseph has the chance to put them under his thumb. Joseph literally has the chance to execute them if he wants to. Joseph steps behind the curtain and he weeps when he recognizes his brothers and then when they recognize it's their brother that they sold, they are so afraid. And Joseph says, don't worry, guys, I forgive you. What Satan meant for evil, God has used for good. We love that story. We're drawn to that story. We get to the New Testament, and we love the story of Zacchaeus, who's been this tax collector who's ripping off people and working with the Romans. And when he meets Jesus... He decides to make it right and to give restitution four times of what he collected and to give his money to the poor because he wants to exercise forgiveness. Here's what I've discovered this week is my favorite stories in the Bible have to do with forgiveness. And more times than not, they're the forgiveness of God that's so overwhelming. You see David at a breakneck speed, break almost all the Ten Commandments, man. He's covetous. He's lustful, he's murderous, he lies about it. And then we see God restore to that man the joy of salvation and forgiveness. And we go, that's the part of the Bible I love. Or we see Peter, Jesus' homie. I'm learning, Derek, I'm learning, all right? We see Peter who does Jesus so bad. And like Derek, we are drawn to those two words. Jesus wants to see and Peter. And we love it that the guy who messes up the worst is the one who preaches the gospel sermon. We're drawn to those stories. We're drawn to those stories in life. That's why we've been so intrigued and so drawn to the story of that Emmanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where those people are willing to get up and forgive the one who just murdered nine of their members. We think that's, that's amazing. That is so incredibly beautiful. Even the world steps up and goes, that's not the way people normally act. We love it when we see it in our own church. I've seen through the years two families end up here that maybe years and years ago there had been a divorce and you end up with two people who have been divorced who are now remarried sitting on the same row and exercising forgiveness of one another. One of the most beautiful stories of forgiveness I've ever seen, I don't think we've ever publicly told, but years and years ago there was a, a local church of Christ that didn't like churches of Christ to do anything different. And they had a weekly bulletin. Anybody remember that? And they would write up every one of us that did anything they didn't like. And they, they were consistent. And we ran to the mailbox every Friday to see if we made it, all right? But uh, this church went through a, a preacher change. And they hired this new preacher. And he came in and he was writing all the same stuff. And just criticizing us and anything we did every week. But when this guy got there, he began to see the way it worked. And he began to speak out about it. 
His theology didn't change, but he didn't like what he saw. And he got fired. Now, here's a guy I've been writing this up week after week. Theologically, he certainly doesn't agree with us. And our elders contact him and say, we know you got fired. And we're going to pay your salary for the next six months. My friends, that's the kind of forgiveness that we're drawn to because it's so crazy. It's so like God. So forgiveness is so beautiful. But forgiveness is also so unnatural. It's unnatural to practice. That's the, that's the problem of our, our topic today. It's, it's, it's beautiful to witness. It's unnatural to practice. I love to watch it in other people, but when it comes to time where I've got to forgive someone who's really done me wrong, it really is hard, isn't it? And that's the challenge of our study today. How do we get there? How are we able to do the unnatural? Why? Because the word forgive simply means to release. More times than not, it's used about releasing a debt that someone owes you. It's to forgive an injustice. It's to come to that point where you go, you know what? I know they did me wrong. Now listen, let's be real honest here. The people who hurt us the most are the people that we're closest to. If if I'm not close to you, it's really hard for you to hurt me because I don't care. But if I'm in a relationship with you and I begin to see the worst and you see the worst in me and, and something happens then am I willing to give up justice? Am I willing to say, you know what? I'm going to forgive it. I'm not going to hold you under my thumb any longer. I'm not going to hold this against you. The word literally means to release. The offended party says, I'm going to release what I've got over you. I'm not expecting you to suffer, and I'm not going to try to hurt you back. Now, that's not natural. Because what's natural is we want to get people back. What natural is we want to... If you hurt me, it just feels right for me to hurt you. We hit back. Saw this in one of my grandsons the other day. Taze is two years old, and we were in Nashville at a restaurant, and it's taking a long time to go through the line, and yeah, I could tell he was getting frustrated. And so it's me and his dad, Charlie, and they're Lincoln. We're just sort of sitting there in line waiting to order. It's taking a long time, and he's a long time for a two-year-old. And so finally, he just slaps me. And I slapped, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, then after he slapped me, his dad grabbed his hand. Charlie said, Taze, you don't do that. You don't slap, grandbuddy. And he popped him. And it was so funny. As soon as he popped him, he popped Lincoln. <laughs> I'm thinking, guys, that's so natural that we want to hit somebody back. It's just real. The, the worst I've heard of this is this, this Milwaukeean. Is that how the way you say someone who grows up in Milwaukee? A few years ago, there was, there was this guy in Milwaukee, and he, he kept a list of everything anyone had ever done against him. I mean, a detailed list. In the year 2003, he snapped. And he went to the house of a man, and he spray-painted graffiti all over his house. All kinds of terrible words. Later, he was asked, why did you do that? He said, 10 years ago. This this man who lived there was 75 years old. He says, 10 years ago, I think this man cost me my job. And then after he ran out of spray paint, he had some paint thinner. And so he went to this next house. 
and every car within the house, he poured paint thinner on their car, ruined their paint jobs. He's asked about that. Why did you do that? He said, five years ago, this man cut me off in traffic. Now we say, man, we're not that bad. But listen to me. We're not going to go spray paint somebody's wall. We're not going to pour paint thinner on their cars. But we're going to hold a grudge in our heart. I like what one man said. They say it's good to let your grudges grow. But I don't know. I'm quite fond of my grudge. I, I, I pet it like a pet. I tend it like a garden. Because it's so easy for us to do. Someone's done us wrong. And we don't go do the outward thing. We don't want to get in trouble. But we hold it in. And that's why this thing that is so incredibly beautiful is so incredibly difficult. And let me say this. Here's the three things I want to say this morning really quickly. Forgiveness is the most unique sign of Christianity. Forgiveness, how do we make the unnatural become natural? And then finally, we're going to close out with what's at stake here because there's a lot at stake. First of all, write this down. Forgiveness is the most unique sign of Christianity. That's not going to show up on your screen. But that's your point of your book. It's the most unique sign of Christianity. Because people rejected Jesus because they could not believe there was a God that would die for people and forgive the people who spat on him. I mean, to me, my favorite line in all the Bible is Jesus' first words on the cross. I can't get around it. Father... Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How do you say that to people who just put spikes in your hand and your feet? It's Jesus. And yet that was so crazy that people in the first century rejected Jesus because that was a sign not of a strong and powerful God like the Romans revere, but a weak God. A strong God would get people back. We look at the Middle East today. We look at how other religions interact and we see there's no room for forgiveness. I'll never forget when one of my college roommates moved to the Northeast and he's working for a major marketing firm. And there are hardly any Christians there. And he said, buddy, what struck me more than anything is there was no concept of forgiveness. It was all getting each other back. And some of us who've lived in this for a while, we forget the uniqueness of forgiveness. That we believe people can change. We believe there's restitution. We believe there's forgiveness. Our country today is incarcerating one out of every 100 Americans. And politically, 10, 15 years ago, it sounded like a good idea to say three strikes and you're out. Three strikes and you're in jail the rest of your life. No matter what the offense was. And now, we can't house them. Because we forgot People can change, and there's a power. And so Jesus says to us, this is the mark of a new way of life. Let's look at a couple passages. Go with me, first of all, to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, this is the mark of a new human. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to paint a picture for us of the way people ought to live. And it's radically different. 
I want you to put yourself in the place of a Jew of that day who's very spiritual and very religious, but has lived under the idea that it's God's idea, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and that's the way we ought to live. That's the highest standard. Look at verse, oh, look at verse 35 with me, or 38. You have heard that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Can you imagine? If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, strip down, hand over your coat as well. If someone, that's not someone, that's your enemy, a Roman soldier, forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asked you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said. Here's the standard. Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. My friends, that's the world standard. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What's Jesus saying? I want a new humanity where people treat each other differently. Where we stop this cycle of pain back and eye for an eye. And you did me wrong and I'm going to get you back. And now you get me back and it never stops. Look at our world today. We're in this cycle. And Jesus says, I've got a better way. And listen to it. Jesus says, you, listen to me. You are never more like God than when you treat people this way. And then turn with me to the book of Colossians. Here Paul is trying to develop a Christian community. The kind of community we're trying to develop here at Landmark, where people experience in the body of Christ where they couldn't experience anywhere else. And when you get to the book of Colossians, they're trying to determine how do you measure spiritual maturity. They have a lot of people in this church who come from pagan religions, where there are all kinds of pagan rites. And some people think if you, you keep those, that's the mature. And then you got a big Jewish population in this church at Colossae, and they're saying spiritual maturity is keeping the law. And, and, and Paul writes Colossae to say, guys, it's all to do with Jesus. He's superior. He's better than anybody else or any other religious philosophy or any other religious leader. And now he says his way is better. Well, how do you measure spiritual maturity, Paul? We'd struggle with that today. Do we measure spiritual maturity by church attendance? A lot of time we have. Do we measure spiritual maturity by Bible knowledge? Lots of time we have. Don't get me wrong. I think church attendance is important. I think Bible study is important. But that is not the measure of spiritual maturity. The measure of spiritual maturity is Christ-likeness. What coming to church ought to do for you is not be a checkbox for you. It ought to be something that helps you become more like Jesus. Today, you ought to be challenged to your core to be more like Jesus in forgiveness. And when you get in the Word of God, it's not just for knowledge. It's to become a reflection of God himself. And so Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, here's the way this new community of faith acts. Here's the way you treat each other. Here's the way that you love each other. Colossians 3. Look with me, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all of, over all of these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul says, you want to know if you're spiritually mature, do you treat people in a Christ-like manner? And the most challenging thing here in this passage is obviously forgiveness. So how do we get there? How do we make what seems so unnatural? It's beautiful to us. We love to see it in somebody else. But right now in your heart, there's somebody that's done you really, really wrong. It's a spouse that left you. It's a child that's neglected you. It's a boss that's taken advantage of you. It's a friend that rejected you. How do you handle that? How do we get to the point of the unnatural becoming natural? Here's the key line, what we've read to this point. Forgive, Paul said, as the Lord forgave you. Say that with me. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Say it out loud. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The message translation puts it this way. Forgive as quickly and as completely as the master forgave you. I like how one person put it. Forgiven people forgive people. You got that? That's the principle here. And don't pass over this lightly because it sounds so trite. Forgiven people forgive people. And that's, here's, here's what we're looking for then. If you're going to be a forgiving person, you've got to first of all experience forgiveness so that you can extend forgiveness. That's the way it works. Experience it and then extend it. That's what's next in your notes there. And that's our challenge, is that we learn to experience forgiveness to the point that we are able to extend it. Now, let's, let's do some heavy talking right here for a moment. For you to really experience forgiveness, you've got to know the bad news about yourself and the good news about Jesus. You see, you're never going to get to this place where you experience, you extend forgiveness until you really think you need it. A lot of us think we're pretty good. A lot of us, you know, we've lived pretty good moral lives and we became Christians and we just became a little bit better. But I'm telling you, the more you read Scripture, the more you read the standards of God over topics, even like what we're talking about, the more we all recognize that we're sinners. I love what I heard an old preacher say decades ago. The closer I grow to God, the more I see I'm a whole lot worse than I ever thought I was. And God's a whole lot better. Amen? But it starts by seeing I'm a whole lot worse. Because here's what we do. Is I elevate your sin and I discount my sin. If you've got a certain sin struggle that I don't have, that's a big time sin. If I've got a certain sin struggle... I understand it because I know me and I know what's going on. So I discount it. Or either, you know, we look at those outward big time sins and we see those. You think, I've never committed adultery. I've never gone out, you know, and cheated my boss. I don't curse God. But my friends, if you went back to that Sermon on the Mount we were just reading earlier, it goes so much deeper. 
And some of us, because we haven't done the big sins, we didn't really think we needed forgiveness. It's easy for the drug addict. It's easy for the cheat. It's easy for that person to go, my goodness, oh great, this is so cool to discover God. But for some of the rest of us who've internally struggled with things just as ugly as anything they've experienced, greed, lustfulness, let's, let's tell the big one, selfishness. Do you realize that selfishness is the root of every sin? Every sin is a choice of self over God. Who in here has not struggled with just being stinking selfish? I just, I might do it in a neat way, but I manipulate things the way I want them. And so I struggle with these inner sins that might not be so evident. And so sometimes when I come to God, I'm not quite as thankful as the other person for the grace of God. So my friends, first of all, you've got to see how bad things are without God. Then you've got to see how good things are with God. And then you can forgive. So I ask you, have you really experienced forgiveness? Have you come to terms with how rebellious you were to God? God, rebellion, guys, rebellion doesn't just happen on the outside. Rebellion happens on the inside. And then you come to terms that he has offered forgiveness to you. You see, guys, here's the way we're going to get to the place where we can extend forgiveness. If you never recognize how incredibly you've been forgiven, you're going to always struggle with forgiving someone who does you wrong. I read this story the other day. I thought it was, or heard this story, incredible. There was a gay pride parade in New York City. And a Catholic priest lined up on the side of the road. And he had his garb on, his collar on. And the parade came by. And he wasn't screaming or yelling. But just for him to have that on, they knew his stand. And so one of the guys in the parade spit on the priest. The priest just spit on him. And the priest just stood there, just wiped it off, didn't get angry, didn't yell back. Someone later asked, how did you put up with that? You know what he said? I deserve a whole lot worse. I deserve a whole lot worse. My friends, that's how we get to this point. So we've got to, we've got to, to see we need it. We've got to accept it. Now, let's close out this morning by talking about what's at stake, because there's a lot at stake here. If you want to look at what Jesus says, we're going to look at a passage in just a minute that really is very, very challenging and even difficult to interpret. What's at stake? Let me give you some things real quickly. First of all, your relationship with other people is at stake. Let me give you a guarantee. A hundred percent of the people you get close to will let you down. A hundred percent. People in your family, your spouse, your friends, your church, your small group. Is it times not going to be everything it ought to be? And the only way for it to stick together is for there to be a multitude of forgiveness. Your marriage won't make it. This church won't make it. Your small group won't make it. Unless we learn to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. So what's at stake? Our relationship with other people. 
That's why so many people go from marriage to marriage, from church to church, from small group to small group, from friendship to friendship. Why? Because something bad happens. Instead of exercising what is so difficult for us, forgiveness, we cut them off and we move on and we try to get them back. Number two, our relationships with ourselves. Bitterness will eat you up. The problem with the lack of forgiveness is you're not hurting the person you're not forgiving. You've heard the saying, bitterness is like swallowing poison and expecting it to kill the other person. It'll eat you up. Because here's what I want you to see this morning. What's at stake here? Your relationship with God. Now, a few weeks ago, we attempted to quote the Lord's Prayer. And if you remember, your preacher blew it, all right? So I've been working on that these last few weeks, all right? So we can, we can quote the Lord's Prayer again. So let me ask you a question. This will make it easier. As we do the Lord's Prayer, do you want to do it with the thous or without the thous? Who wants the thous? Raise your hand. Three people. Who wants no thous? Y'all don't care. Okay, let's, let's just try this. See, nobody cares, all right? We're going to do it without the thous, all right? So we're going we're gonna to quote the Lord's Prayer together. And we're, there's a line in there that's very, very powerful in this message, all right? Okay, so let's quote it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He may... <laughs> that's not the Lord's Prayer, okay? Just wanted to see if you'd go there with me. Now, <laughs> let's... Let... <laughs> Good job, guys. Y'all were going, man, awesome. <laughs> Let's do the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They are daily bread. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a beautiful prayer. But there's a line in that prayer that ought to trip us up and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debts. It's a request for God not to forgive you. It's saying, Lord, I'll take your forgiveness. But it seems to be saying it's based on my forgiveness of other people. If that doesn't sound right, then read the addendum. Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. Listen to this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Wow. Is he saying that we have to earn our forgiveness by forgiving other people? Do we merit it? What's he saying here? This is difficult because it seems dependent. But here's what I think is going on here. Forgiveness is so completely intertwined. Our forgiveness from God and our forgiveness of others cannot be separated Because if you you get one, you get the other. And I think what Jesus is saying here is if if, if you don't understand how radically crazy my forgiveness is of you, then it's going to show up. 
I, I don't think he's saying you forgiving other earns God's stead. I think he's saying your lack of forgiveness of other people reveals that you have never really experienced forgiveness. Now, Jesus tells a whole parable about this. He tells of a guy in Matthew chapter 18 that owes this king 20,000 bags of gold. And he's, he's in prison for his debt. And he falls down before the king and he begs forgiveness and the king forgives him. And then the guy goes out and finds a guy who owes him a hundred pieces of silver. 20,000 bags of gold is equal to 20 years of wages. A hundred pieces of silver is equal to one day wages. And so this guy who's just been forgiven this 20,000 bags of gold, he now goes out and now he throttles the man who owes him the day's wage and throws him in prison. And the king finds out and he takes the man he had just forgiven so amazingly and he throws him back in prison. And then Jesus says, that's what God will do to any of you who don't forgive those who've done you wrong. You see, there's such an incredible tie here. Write this down. I love this line. My lack of forgiveness of others reveals I have not experienced or grasped the enormity of God's forgiveness of me. Let that sink in for a minute. My lack of forgiveness of others reveals I have not experienced or grasped the enormity of God's forgiveness of me. So I ask you this morning, who do you need to forgive? Who are you struggling with? Who came to your mind as soon as this topic was announced? Do you see what's at stake here? Your very relationship with God. Not because God wants you to earn his forgiveness by forgiving somebody else, but God wants you to get his forgiveness. He's like that king who goes, you've got to be kidding me. I forgave you? Of all that gold and you won't forgive this guy of a measly few coins? Give me a break. So I ask you this morning, do you understand the enormity of God's forgiveness of you? If you do, then you're going to be a whole lot better forgiving. And it all starts when you do more than witness forgiveness, you experience forgiveness. That's why so many of us, marriage has been the best teacher because in marriage, your spouse sees the very worst of you and yet still loves you. Or a close friendship where you experience forgiveness, where you know you didn't deserve it and you did your friend wrong, you didn't do what you say you do. Boy, we learn about this. It's a beautiful thing to witness, guys, and we've seen a lot of it lately. But let me tell you this morning, it's a whole lot more beautiful to experience it. I was thinking this week, the speaker that's coming to Gridiron, Reese Davis, was in our campus mission in Alabama. I was there. I remember when he was a freshman. He's a big-time guy now, but he's just a little freshman guy. And later on in his college career, he had been told something about me that was not true. There was a person who just spread some terrible rumors. And I didn't know till later that Reese knew it.
And I remembered coming to devotionals where Reese, who had always been a leader, sat in the back. Or he didn't show up for some things. I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't know this rumor was being spread, so I didn't know until later. But now I look back, and I remember the devotional where Reese Davis walked in, didn't sit in the back, came and sat in the chair beside me. And he would have had to be thinking the very worst of me. But I knew what happened when I looked back in retrospect. He forgave me. Not even knowing that I was in any way innocent. I cherish that to this day. It's an incredible thing to experience forgiveness. And this morning, we're going to sing in just a minute. If you need to experience forgiveness, if today's the day that you need to come to the Lord, we're going to give you that opportunity because you've got to get it before you can give it. But before we even do this, I know this is a sensitive topic. I talked to two ladies in our church this week, and when I told them what I was preaching on, one of them said, I'm so glad I'm out of town. <laughs> because this just kills me. And the other lady began to cry. Because, guys, many of us, this, this may be Satan's most effective tool, is to keep us being unforgiving. And there are people, you're, you're sitting here right now, and you're dealing with it. It's okay, because it's unnatural. I know it's unnatural to forgive that person who did you so wrong, but it's, it's so beautiful. And today, if you will admit the enormity of God's forgiveness of you, I think you can find it in your heart to forgive that person. So before we even sing, you don't have to write anything down. You don't have to come forward. I'm just asking you right now, if you're struggling with forgiveness of someone, would you stand up? And I'm going to pray for you before we sing this strong. If that's, this is your struggle, stand up. Don't hold back. Nothing embarrassing about this. This is probably the number one sin in the church is a lack of forgiveness. Go ahead, it's okay. Just want to see who I'm praying for. I guess nobody, oh, we do have somebody in this section. Good, thank you, all right. Anybody else? Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him forgiving us when we were so unworthy. Forgive us when we discount our own sinfulness. And don't really understand how big it was for you to forgive us. And Lord, I pray for each one of these people standing, Lord. There are hurts there. And God, I know that forgiveness does not mean trust. That someone may have abused you and you can forgive them. And that doesn't mean you need to become best friends with them again. But Lord, there's something that destroys us on the inside. And destroys our relationship. And even can destroy our relationship with you. If we don't learn to exercise this. So God, I pray for each person standing right now. That you will flood them with your forgiveness. And that forgiveness will come out of them, Lord. And extend forgiveness like Jesus extended it on the cross. To people who didn't even ask for it. Didn't even know they needed it. And yet Jesus said the most amazing words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Help us to be like Jesus, God. Bless these people standing, God. May this be a marker of when they released something they hold over somebody. Thank you for teaching us how to do this. It truly is beautiful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing. If you need to come today to experience forgiveness, why don't you come as we sing together?